0: And it is Denver Sports tonight on this Tuesday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. Roll with you for the next hour. Take you up to tip off of the Nuggets and Timberwolves game five down at Ball Arena. The Avalanche are in a dogfight all of a sudden, tied with the Kraken 2 2 as Kel McCarr gets suspended. The Valerian Nichushkin mystery deepens. Everyone's leaving Coach Prime in Boulder, at least all the guys that were there a season ago. But Mace? Let's start with some Broncos news. How's that sound to you? <laughs> That's
1: that sounds all right. I didn't think we'd have any today because it's radio silence coming out of the Broncos facility as the draft nears. There's no voluntary mini camp as every other team with a new coach is having this week, but there's news regarding the facility itself.
0: Yeah, Mike Kliss in the last half hour has some news. He publishes an article. Uh, for his website, or his station's website, 9news.com. And he says that it is not just the stadium. The Broncos owners are exploring the possibility of a new-slash-renovated training facility. I'll break this down for you, Mason, then I want your reaction. Chris uh, has learned through his sources that team owners Greg Penner and Kerry Walton Penner, along with the president, Demani Leach, were among a contingent who toured headquarters of the Chicago Bears, Miami Dolphins, and Las Vegas Raiders recently. The visits were part of the early stages of the Broncos' exploration of a possible renovated or new training facility on the current campus in Arapahoe County. Obviously, these are pretty new ones uh, that they went and toured. And Cliz does add that Greg and Carrie Penner are giving some early thought to either building a new headquarters on their current plot of land or dramatically expanding and renovating their current structures. What do you make of all this, Mace? I mean, the Pat Bowen Fieldhouse simply just isn't that old. It's not that
1: old. And I would imagine that if they did do a significant rebuild on that facility, that it may be structured to some degree around the Pat Bowen Fieldhouse being a centerpiece of it. It's the, the only thing that, got, that you look back on that fieldhouse and say, all right, they could have done this a bit better is have room for people to watch practices. For example, I believe a couple of years after the Pat Bowen Fieldhouse was built, the Buccaneers built their fieldhouse down in Tampa, and they built it with room to get about three, 4,000 people in on bleachers to watch practice. So if a thunderstorm or whatever that you frequently get down in Florida threatened practice, they could take it inside and everybody could go watch, whereas with the Broncos facility right now, and this is one of the reasons why they stick with morning practices is because if, if they went to a a schedule in training camp where they had afternoon practices, yeah, they could move into the field house, but then the fans wouldn't get to watch. And so you look back on that and, you know, I think if we knew then what we know now, maybe the field house would have been built with the ability for people to watch
0: practice. Well, and you're right. They have that in Tampa. They also have that in Dallas. Like we saw it on Hard Knocks with the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. They've got indoor uh, seating for fans. Heck, Mace, they play high school football games there, right? So They do. They do. If if you had three or 4,000 people, how much fun would it be every week? There's a Broncos game of the week and kids from all over the state – Get to go play their Friday night lights game in the field house. Like you're right that that in hindsight, and I know it's hindsight, seems like a really poor decision to have so little room on the sidelines of of that facility.
1: Yeah, and the other thing on when you talk about training camp, and I think that was that's part of what would what this would be here is on you know you've got a structure where people can watch your practice on the hillside. We've seen attendance drop over the years, and I think part of the reason why attendance has dropped for training camp, it's not simply a function of the team. Doing poorly, because attendance was still pretty robust for a few years there, even uh, when the team was in decline. what has happened, and this is just kind of taking the the pulse of the fan base over the last few years th- that is not a comfortable place to watch practice
0: no, it's a thousand you're, degrees your your butt is on the side of a hill,
1: yeah, you're facing this and you're facing the sun like a morning practice it's in you know you're facing the east, you're facing the sun. And so, like, the thing that you hear often is, like, hey, it's, it's you know, it's cool to be able to watch practice, but that is not a comfortable place to do it. And you start looking around the NFL, you go to Minnesota, again, Minnesota, the Broncos practiced there in 2021. And, of course, George Payton came from Minnesota. Yep. The Vikings have bleachers around uh, their, their practice areas. And so, like, people can just kind of sit down, watch practice. They have an... Outdoor stadium that seats about six thousand. Oh wow! They host high school football games and and so forth. Perfect. Yeah, and, and so I mean they don't have. They, I don't think. I don't think they have the capability of having practice indoors where people can watch. But they've got a lot of other things going on. And similar to Dallas, but on a smaller scale, they've got retail. They've got a neighborhood. They've developed, and that's another thing. The Broncos. The Broncos. Ownership bought the land. Okay, they so they now know they now own the land. There's no lease on it or anything like that. Okay, and presumably they could. We could be talking not just about a facility, a renovated facility, but also some kind of of development there to get people in there for more than just training camp practices. There are probably there are a lot of tentacles to what the Broncos could do here. And this is probably kind of the first – this is the first step. I mean, we could literally be talking, Will, over the next decade about a facility development and a stadium development.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, listen, the Walton Penner Family Ownership Group obviously has very, very deep pockets, the richest owners in the NFL, and it's not even close. So anyone who just thought this was a toy, as I've tried to tell people, and I'm not talking to you, Mace, I'm talking to other people, was sadly mistaken. This is not a toy. This is a a strong, strong investment. They spent money at every turn, and it looks like from this reporting from Cliss, they're going to spend even more money, not just potentially on a stadium, but at the facility as well. Here's a quote from Damani Leach. As ownership came in, they started looking at all parts of the business. One was our facility. It's over 30 years old, and we've gone through all the improvements that have been made and some of the improvements that need to happen over the next several years. As you would expect, as you start doing that, you ask, okay, rather than making cosmetic changes on an annual basis, let's step back and take a more longitudinal look at our overall situation. Like, basically what Damani Leach told Clis Mace is, uh, let's stop putting Band-Aids on this place and let's go state-of-the-art especially because they just toured three different state-of-the-art ones around the NFL. And this is also the commitment
1: they've made to the players. We saw that NFLPA survey a couple of months back, and the Broncos didn't get high marks across the board, and one of the areas in which they scored low was the locker room, and it's a D plus. They got that, and it was 22nd out of 32. There were some teams that kind of shrugged off the NFLPA stuff the Broncos and and Greg Penner, Kerry Walton Penner, Damani Leach, they did not shrug this off. And the locker room in particular, one of the aspects of the Broncos main building that sits there at the corner, of Broncos Parkway and Potomac, it's that it's that very long building. It kind of it's a pretty long building going north to south, yep. right? Well, there are a couple of design flaws within this. Number one on the first level, you let, you cannot go from one end of the building to the other without going through the locker room. So, like what it leads to is often like if you are going from the main lobby to the cafeteria, like if you don't want to go through the locker room, you got to go outside and walk outside for a bit and back in. The other thing is when they they, they built that structure with the locker room at the center of, of the center of it. There isn't room for that locker room to get bigger, and so what you have is if it's not the smallest everyday locker room in the NFL it's one of the ver it's one of the very smallest it's it's in the bottom three or four in terms of the size of it they renovated in 2016 they have really done all they can and been very creative with how they maximize the space in there but then you look around other teams in the league and even go down the stadium, the Broncos locker room at Empower Field at Mile High is massive. Mm. That's the kind of locker room that players expect and that teams are building. Something with a lot of space to kinda to, to to move around and congregate and all that. The Broncos locker room doesn't offer that. And the question is, can they build a locker room like that within the structure of the building or or have they just put so many band-aids on it over the last 33 years that maybe it's just time to say okay structurally we've got to build a new headquarters building and that way that may well be more cost effective than simply having another round of renovations
0: yeah very interesting you mentioned the locker room and stuff and the Broncos getting the D plus hey man players care about that potential free agents care about that stuff because these guys are all coming, not all of them, but most of them are coming from Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia and Oregon, the list goes on and on, where the facilities are ridiculous because of the boosters these big-time college programs have. These kids don't expect that 18, 19, 20 years old, they're in a facility like they have at Bama, and then all of a sudden they go to the NFL, they get their big payday and their facility downgrades. That's kind of backwards thinking. It's like, I made it, now I should have even better stuff. And that's just not the case. A lot of college facilities are nicer than NFL facilities. This kind of stuff matters to players. And if you want to attract the top-tier free agents or you want your draft picks to re-sign a state-of-the-art facility, as if you're just joining us, Mike Kliss has broken in the last hour that the Broncos are going to explore it, seems to make a lot of sense. And again, the new owners, they have the money to do this. They have the money to do anything and everything that can make that football team better and a more attractive place for the best players to play. It's not just the Alabamas we're talking about here i'm I'm looking at
1: the University of South Florida that's in a group of five conference the American Athletic Conference and they built a new locker room two years ago Each locker has a player's photo on it digital multicolor lighting surround sound system in the in the locker room new furnishings you know couches you know Nutrition fueling station right there, LED lighting, charging ports. They've got they've got these. They can sit in they can they can sit at their locker and be in comfy chairs, like they like a high backed chair right there. that's part of their locker, right? And I mean, you know that that's the sort of thing that players are expecting. So it's it's a weird thing. But when the Broncos draft a player, unless they're drafting somebody from like FCS or Division Two. The locker room kind of underwhelms players when they walk in. Yeah, it's, it's a
0: wild thing. So you're right; it's not just the Bamas of the world; it's the yeah. South Floridas of the world.
1: Probably CSU might have a better locker room. With all respect to, to our friends up in Fort Collins, probably CSU has a better locker room than the Broncos.
0: Well, we certainly know Boulder does. Those facilities oh, they've that. renovated at yes. CU are just phenomenal. All right. Well, Mace will have something on this at DenverSports.com in a little bit. You can go there to keep yourself posted on potentially a new facility or some big renovations. But Mace, I, I got to get over the ABS with you because they are the biggest story in town right now, in my opinion, uh, for two reasons. One, the mystery around Valeri Nichushkin continues to get deeper and deeper. Um, an NHL insider today went on the radio in Vancouver and said he is hearing it was an alcohol-related incident on Friday night. Adrian Dater reports that a woman was taken out of uh, the Avalanche's team hotel around 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, taken to the hospital in an ambulance. We don't know if those two things are connected. We want to make that abundantly clear. And then Valerian Achushkin's agent tells Russian media it was not alcohol-related, and he denies that report. So that's one layer. And then the second layer, Mace, what did you think of the Kale McCarr suspension today, uh, particularly because there was no whistleblowing blowing. And to me, McCarr is just finishing a check because he doesn't know where the puck is, and it's not his fault that McCann uh, wasn't bracing himself for a big hit in playoff hockey. Because until there's a whistle, you need to be on your toes, or in this case, on your skates. And I think because McCann got hurt, eye for an eye, the NHL suspended McCarr, and I think it's ridiculous.
1: Well, I mean, Kale McCarr got hurt. He got concussed on the hit from Jack Carter earlier this season, and uh, what happened to Jack Carter? He didn't, he didn't get penalized, which just is insane. Damn.
0: Yeah, that was so, way worse than what Kale did last night,
1: and and that's the thing. I mean, that's where you start, you start muttering to yourself about selective enforcement when you see what happened with Jack Carter result in nothing, and you see Kale's hit result in uh, in a penalty. It's not and it's not specifically about about in, uh, in penalty and suspension. It's not specifically about intent either. I mean. You can be sorry, but you can make a, a a dirty hit, and you're gonna be suspended. I mean, some of this, it, I mean, it doesn't pass the smell test with me. Well, like my smell test, it's saying, oh, this was a playoff game that everybody was watching, they, and the NHL felt like it had to do something. Whereas the Jack Carter hit was the right on Kale was in the regular season, and not, and it wasn't as visible, so we didn't have to do anything with it. Right? That's. Honestly, that's how I'm viewing it. And I, and I, and I actually, to refresh my memory and just kind of make sure I was kind of clear-headed on this, I went back and watched that hit like 10 times today. Both yeah. of actually, not only last night, but the one that McCarr absorbed and he got concussed on.
0: Well, and there was no whistle, Mace. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. I watched it with audio up, right? right. Kale clearly doesn't know where the puck is. He there has just been a short-handed breakaway, and he's trying to lay a good hard check because that's what you're taught to do is you know hit the guy off the puck until you come and get some help. So for all Kale knows, that rebound landed at McCann's feet, right or at his skates, whatever you want to call it, and he's just finishing a check because he hasn't heard a whistle. How many times from six-year-olds do we hear play to the whistle? Yes, Kale McCarr played to the whistle, and because McCann is just in La La Land and not bracing himself, then he gets hurt, right? Like head on a swivel is a is a cliche, but it applies here in such a big way. This is a playoff game. This is a guy who won the con Smythe last year, won the Stanley Cup, the Norris, the Hobie Baker, all those awards. Cal McCarr doesn't have a dirty bone in his body. He's way too skilled to have to play dirty. I just rattled off his resume. So anyone who thinks this was intentional, I think is losing their mind. I think it's Kale playing to the whistle and it's 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 unfortunate that McCann got hurt but in some ways it's McCann's own fault because he was not bracing himself for contact which happens on every single play in hockey it's almost like McCann
1: was expecting a whistle and i could and i would argue a whistle should have come and it didn't but that's not on kale that then is on the official if they have a late whistle right so why is the player
0: getting penalized today because the refs screwed up
1: exactly i it seem, I, I mean kale is the one who act, I mean, who basically was doing, like you said, the thing that we are all coached to do from the first time we play a game, play to the whistle. Like We're, we're all taught that.
0: A lot of feedback it's, it's on the instinct. Ramoslaw.com text line. It is instinct. 303-713-1043. From the 8190, to be fair, man, McCarr hit him as he was completely defenseless. More than a few seconds after the puck went out of bounds. It's a malicious hit. Okay, here's my retort to that, Mace. McCarr didn't know the puck was out of bounds because guess how you know the puck's out of bounds? was a freaking whistle. <laughs> I know. And that's, and, and again, and why are we
1: talking about punishing Kale when I think it was the referee who messed up?
0: That's, exactly. That's and guess what, Mason? They called it a major. They go to review, and they reduce it to a minor. Yes. How can you tell me it's suspension-worthy, but it's not major-worthy, it's minor-worthy? Again, the NHL Department of Player Safety just making absolutely no sense, talking out of every side of their mouth on this one.
1: It's, in, it's inconsistent adjudication as well. Like, and it's, I mean, I don't get, I, I don't get it because I feel like they're trying to, maybe they're trying to send a message, but they're using the wrong
0: person and the wrong situation to send a message. Okay, so Kael McCarr won't be there in Game 5 for the Avalanche. The Nachushkin stuff, Mace, I think we're kind of at the point where... I was on the Zokley Show talking today uh, with Stoke and Zach about this. We're at the point where the Avalanche may need to release some sort of statement because the speculation is getting crazy. I mean, you have a well-respected NHL insider go on the radio today and say he's hearing it was, quote, an alcohol-related incident. This was Frank Cervelli on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. I mean, come on, man. Frank Cervelli's been around the block. He's not just going to go spew that unless he's hearing it. Why are the Avalanche... I understand the secretive culture. I get it. But to me, that applies more toward upper-body, lower-body injury. By the Avalanche staying silent, they are just letting the rumors fly, and I don't think that's fair to Val Nachushka.
1: it's It's not, and the, other, and the thing is... We see it everywhere. If there's a lack of information, something will come in and fill the void. And usually what fills the void is crap. Mm. And I don't know how much of what we've heard is real and how much is not. I mean, this thing has gone all over the place. I mean, the the speculation has run wild to include talking, you know, the, the the, the notion that he got conscripted. Into the Russian military, I mean that that was floating around on Saturday. Remember that? Oh yeah. I mean, it's just if you don't have anything out there, it's just it's going to it's going to go in all these directions. I'm not saying that the avalanche has to come out and say everything about this. And certainly, if it's personal, then you got then then there are certain things that are going to have to be allowed to to let lie but right now it's just i mean we're talking about oh somebody you know somebody went to the you know a, a woman was uh, taken from uh, was taken to the hospital from the Av's team hotel on that afternoon he leaves with security nobody knows where he nobody apparently knows where he is at least no one is sharing the information of where he is i mean this is all it is doing is adding fuel and the longer this goes on the more is going to get poured on this, exactly. And, and, and at some point, forget about the need the, the 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 public and and whether the public needs to know or not. At some point, does this start affecting the team? Because this, in terms of in, in terms of this vague type of situation, this is something that could become a distraction. You think back of like. Postseason big things that were distractions. It's like, uh, you know, Barrett Robbins when he uh, went down to Tijuana the, before the Super Bowl. Right, and right. Gene Robinson uh, with the Falcons uh, before playing the Broncos in Super Bowl XXXIII. Um, these sorts of things often cause the performance of the team to decline. And that's where just some clarity might help. Everybody, including the guys in that locker.
0: Yeah, I'm with you because McKinnon got asked about it the other night and he was frustrated that he had to answer the question. Jared Bednar's getting the question at every single press conference and giving the exact same answer. I mean, at some point, it's above their pay grade. Like Nathan McKinnon shouldn't have to speak on this. Jared Bednar shouldn't have to speak on this. This, to me, is where Joe Sackick or Chris McFarland needs to get involved, release a statement, take the heat off the players, take the heat off the coaches – And you're right. If it's extremely personal in nature, Mace, we don't need to know every single little detail. But there's a difference between staying completely silent and at least releasing something on the situation that makes it so that your players and coaches that are still there can focus on hockey and not where's Val, where's Val, where's Val. Because outside of game three, Mace, they need Val. They scored six goals in three games, two per game. They scored two last night, and the only player that showed up, in my opinion, was Miko Rantanen. Right? Like we're not talking about some fourth line scrub here. We're talking about a team that lost a ton of firepower from a season ago, paid Valeri Nichushkin fifty million dollars, and needs his production. There's an element of personal to this. I get it, but there's also a massive hockey element to it. And if the Avalanche lose this series, we may very well pinpoint if they had Nichushkin, they would have won the series. He disappeared off the face of the earth, and they lost the series. And we deserve some, again, some sort of answer, whether it was through a fault of his, which these reports today would suggest, or if it's just a family matter and we leave it alone. Cool. I don't care either way, but it's two totally different narratives, whether Nachushkin was doing something wrong and fans have a right to be disappointed in him, or something totally out of his control happened, and we should all be thinking about Valerie Nachushkin and hopeful this gets better soon, because... Those are two totally different outcomes, in my opinion.
1: Well, the thing is, if it were something where there wasn't like impropriety, like something just you know un- unfortunate happening, and had to t- and he had to attend to it, you'd th- sometimes there'd be like a statement put out that's saying like, "Hey, you know, in our in our thoughts, right, right, right." And we haven't had anything like that. Nothing of that's that. nature. come from the. That's come from the avalanche, and that. And look, we're you know. In, let's face it, in media, we're all trying to peel back the layers and find something, right? You've got an awful lot of people who are trying to kind of dig in and and, and get to, and, and, and shine some light on this in the, in the absence of information. This is a, lesser, a much lesser example, but you remember when the Broncos went to the Super Bowl and won it, Super Bowl 50, mm-hmm. and they had everything going on Brock Osweiler and Peyton Manning. Who's going to start? What did Gary Kubiak do every Monday? He got up in front of the media and said, this is who the starting quarterback is. Didn't play the whole BS facade of, oh, we're going to keep the opponent guessing, blah, 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 which would have meant his players had to answer those questions again and again and get frustrated with it, kind of like Nathan McKinnon getting asked the question. If you have some clarity, then those questions go away, and the focus turns where it should be, and that is, on winning the next
0: game in front of you yeah abs and Kraken tomorrow night game five no kill mccarr we think no valerian Nichushkin, we think i don't know be a great great uh i want to call it christmas present that's the wrong word but a great surprise if he somehow was on the ice at morning skate tomorrow at ball arena certainly not holding my breath that's gonna happen but coming up next we're about 45 minutes away from the Nuggets and Wolves, Game 5 down at Ball Arena. We'll give you our full preview as Denver goes for the gentleman sweep. Nuggets and Timberwolves, Game 5, about 40 minutes from tipping down at Ball Arena. You can catch that one on NBA TV. we got a 7 p.m. start, which is nice. Mace, finally, a start at a normal time for an <laughs> Abs or a Nuggets playoff game. Hey, I'm an hour ahead of you. I'm even
1: more excited right, about the fact that the game is starting... At a reasonable time, seven p.m. Mountain Time for a change. This is this is phenomenal. It, it's been a it, it is, look. You don't know how you don't know how great Mountain Time Zone is until you leave it for a little bit. And if you're like an hour ahead, even that's just driving you crazy with crazy with all these late night games. I love this. This is the way the way it should be, and hopefully, the way it will be as the Nuggets get into future rounds of the playoffs when there are fewer teams to divvy up the time slots with. Hopefully we're going to start seeing more reasonable tip-off times here, assuming the Nuggets, knock on wood, take care of business tonight.
0: Yeah, let's talk about tonight's game, because obviously the Nuggets have an unbelievable rally in Game 4. Uh, if Nikola Jokic doesn't have a free throw go in and out that was halfway down, we're talking about a sweep, and we're not even previewing a game tonight. Uh, the, the comeback was great. The overtime wasn't. Whatever. We're putting game four behind us. We're not going to harp on that. We're going to talk about game five. But, Mace, I think tonight the, the pressure is still on Minnesota because if they want to make this thing interesting, they obviously have to win or their season is over. But, Mace, if they somehow lose tonight, the pressure shifts in a massive, massive way to the Denver Nuggets. Going back to Minnesota, only up 3-2. It's something like oh in 149 in NBA history. Teams trying to come back down uh, 0-3. I just think that tonight, Nuggets, they're expected to close it out. That's cool. Timberwolves will give a little burst early, and then the Nuggets can put the foot on the throat and bury them. I think if it goes to Game Six, the narrative will shift significantly.
1: Yeah, it shifts, and I start worrying if it gets to Game Six. I start worrying about Anthony Edwards taking over mm. because the last three games, obviously the the T Wolves lost the two, but he's and then last, and then Game Four, he ha- he looks like he's going to another level. Even though it, they may fall short in this series, and they probably will. But like the one thing the Timberwolves can take from this is that it's it's pretty clear everything needs to be done to build around him and get the right chemistry around him. This team clearly does, does not have that sort of chemistry. But if you know, he was six of ten in Game Three from three point range. He was five of twelve on on Sunday night when the when the Timberwolves got it done. If he if he stays hot, that's the rogue element in this that could screw everything up for the Nuggets.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting X factor for sure because I don't think Rudy Gobert is scaring a lot of Nuggets fans. No. Carl, <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns has been fine, but he missed so much time this year. Um, yeah, he's a good basketball player, but he hasn't had moments in this series where I go, oh, man, he's unguardable. They got no answer for Cat. But you're right, Edwards is the one player where it's, it's certainly been moments of um, not fear because they're up three one. That's the wrong word, but definitely moments where you notice him and go, "Okay, I'm glad the Nuggets are up three one, not down three one." Because this dude's just good enough to close a game out single handedly.
1: Yeah, he's growing up right before our eyes right now. I mean, you forget sometimes, even though uh, you know he, he came into the league after you know one year, of, you know uh, one year of college ball. He's only 21 years old. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I didn't
0: realize he was that young.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he turns 22 in August. Okay. I mean. So, and that's what. And just watching the last, watching the last two games in particular from him, I feel like just this is this is the moment he's starting to kind of reach that level. And perhaps, and perhaps, honestly, even though not the same position, but you know, being in being in a series against Nicole Jokic, who can take who can take over and do things in a lot of different ways, perhaps, perhaps the level that he's on is step is. Is forcing him to step up. And I think, but again, that's, that's the one thing you worry about. I don't think the Timberwolves have enough as a team to, to hang. And I think it's probably going to get to get done tonight. But you don't want to leave that door slightly ajar. You don't want to give them what the late Marty Schottenheimer would call the gleam. And yeah. if they win tonight, they've got the gleam in front of them going back home to Minnesota.
0: Yeah, if they win tonight, those Wolves in seven chance at the end of game four get a little more real. Right, If not, they're just a footnote of, hey, the Wolves (laughs) crowd was excited. They finally won one. Nuggets gentlemen sweep them. As far as this game for the Nuggets, who is uh, your X factor? I'll go ahead and give you mine. I think it's got to be Michael Porter Jr. Because Mace, he was a huge part of that comeback, that ridiculous comeback at the end of regulation. And he touched the ball one time in overtime. MPJ is far too talented for that to, to happen again. I think they look to get him involved early and often tonight. I think MPJ has a huge night. And let's be honest, I talked about this with Jake Shapiro last night. Game four looked like Nikola Jokic trying to drag a bunch of guys. You know when I watched that movie? Last year against Golden State and the year before against Phoenix. It wasn't real fun because the Nuggets went 1-8. and They're a much more balanced team when Jokic doesn't have to drag them. That's what we saw in the first three games of the series when Murray and Porter were so great. And what do you know? They went 3-0. and I didn't like how game four looked like a playoff game from the last couple of years I liked how the first three games looked more like the bubble where Jokic was great but he had help. Yeah, you're
1: talking about Jamal Murray going two for seven from 3 and eight for 21 from the field. I mean, so to me like it, he he needs to look more like the Jamal Murray of the bubble. If we if we go back to that time, the thing that made the Nuggets work in the bubble is that it didn't have to be Jokic. On on Sunday, they it was it was a really interesting thing that the Timberwolves did. They basically, you know, they basically said, "Okay, you know, Joker, you're going to have yours, and we'll take away everybody else. Which um, again
0: acting, looked like Joker when he's dragging Faku, Kampazu and Austin right. Rivers. You know, yeah,
1: but the, yeah, but this is a team at full strength. He shouldn't have to drag anybody.
0: No, right? but and it wasn't that yeah. way in the first three games. Jokic right. was great, but he was just a complimentary piece. He wasn't dropping forty three, right.
1: And, but how many is how many assists did he have in the other games
0: though? Because of
1: course, well, he had I mean, the triple
0: double in Game Three,
1: right? And yeah. he had, but he had only six assists in Game Four, mm. and and so that and, and so that alone, you look right there, forty three and six from Nico, from Nikola Jokic, and, he, and he's been consistent in rebounds, fourteen, nine, eleven, and eleven so far, but so far in the series. But when he's getting six assists two days after he gets twelve, and then. 2 days before that he had 9, right? So that's not the game that you want to see from him. He only had 6 assists in game 1. But remember, he only played 28 and a half minutes in that game. That was deci- that was decided. Minnesota took itself out of it. When it's been on the up and up a competitive game, a competitive game the last 3, he's had 9 assists, 12 assists and then 6 assists. And there's and that something like that is a diff- is a difference. The Nuggets are better off with Jokic going Having 27 points and nine assists than having 43 points and six. Because if it, if it looks like that, that means no, that means not enough guys are getting involved. That's what it shows you.
0: Yeah, I I think that's well said. That that for as great as we want Jokic to be, and we all love Jokic, we'd much rather he scores in the low 20s and has 12 assists than scores in the 40 and has six assists. Because that just means other guys on the floor are getting involved, and that's a good thing. So it sounds like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like. You're leaning on Jamal Murray as your X factor tonight.
1: I am. I mean, I think you could go either him or MPJ, but what on, on any night you need one of those two to be cooking from three point range. Yep. To make this to make this work and also spread a, and, and also spread a team out at the defensive end of the court. And you need the bench to not be
0: as yeah. uh, pitiful as they were in Game <laughs> Four, for lack of a better word. I mean, Bruce Brown was fine, right? But Jeff Green did nothing. Christian Brown did nothing. DeAndre Jordan, I know he only got a couple minutes, but he didn't do anything of note. It does make me wonder, you know, Malone has said he's not afraid to use Peyton Watson or, you know, Vlatko Chanchar or Zeke Naji. If the bench looks slow again tonight, Mace, I would implore Malone to expand the rotation and give one of those guys a chance because you know all three of those names I just mentioned. Those guys are chomping at the bit to get in there and make it an impact in a playoff
1: game. Exactly, and the other thing is, again, you don't want to leave the door ajar, but you've got, if you need it, you've got three chances here. So, if you're looking at, if if you're looking out there, and Jeff Green is doing precisely, Bubka's Sunday night, eighteen minutes, no points, over three from the field just taking up space at exactly. that point yeah Chris, christian brown who i think we've all really liked over the course of this year 0 for 2 from the field no points minus 4 plus minus in 13 minutes don't i don't think michael malone's going to be afraid of go of going deeper into his bench tonight especially because again you've got the three shots this is a this is a night where if things aren't going and looking the way you want them to, you can maybe do a couple of things to prove a point and get everyone on the same page, knowing that you that if you flub it tonight, you still got two more chances.
0: D Wilkerson chimes in on the Ramaslaw.com text line 303-713-1043. Makes a good point. Fellas, how about we get Jokic for 45 points and 12 assists? Well oh, I can okay. promise you, Mr. Wilkinson, if that's his line, the Nuggets are gonna win and they're gonna win big.
1: Oh, I mean that you, you give me you give me that line for him. I think the Nuggets put up a 125 points and win and won that game by twenty five or thirty.
0: Yeah. All right. Well we'll be tracking it. Certainly have you covered at Denversports.com. But coming up next, the ratings are in. And it wasn't just you who watched the spring game. A lot of people tuned in to see Coach Prime. The ratings are in, and oh, boy, a lot of people watch Coach Prime and the Buffs for a spring game. Spring game, Mace, 551,000 viewers, according to ESPN PR. More than half a million folks. That was the second most most-watched spring game on ESPN since 2016. And remember, ESPN only shows, like, Bama and Georgia spring games, so where they're absolutely crazy about football. And it was up 92% year-over-year year from a spring game they showed in 2022. Does that surprise you that the, the prime effect isn't just here in Colorado, but it's across the country people wanted to uh, watch a spring game on their Saturday? I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all, just the curiosity of it. Look, look
1: at how when he was considering where to go, you had that week where it looked like he was headed to Boulder and just wondering if it was going to, going to happen, if he was going to leave Jackson State for the Buffs look at how basically that took over and became a national story. I mean we were all obviously absorbed with it here, but it was leading off ESPN for for a while and it, it was it was it was practice I mean that that's that's the thing about it this was th- this was practice and believe it or not, it actually outdrew three NBA playoff games. Wow, really granted. Those were three on NBA TV. Like the Nuggets here in about 15 minutes. Right. They, yeah. So there was a Tuesday night game. Uh, game game two, Hawks-Celtics. Game three, Suns-Clippers. Game two, Heat-Bucks. All got fewer people watching than the 551,000 people who were watching the CU spring game on Saturday. Think about that for a moment, that, they, that CU outdrew actual NBA playoff games.
0: For a scrimmage, a glorified I practice. I mean, it was, and it wasn't much of a scrimmage. No,
1: I mean, no, not at all. This is. I mean, I I remember when I was a kid, and I'm going to date myself here, going to like to going to spring games of like you know Virginia Tech and Richmond and and whatever in the Mid Atlantic, and they actually would play a real game. I mean, this was. I mean, this was just situational stuff, but people were riveted to it. And part of it, and got, I, I will give Deion Sanders credit He for this. He does know how to milk a moment for maximum media consumption.
0: Oh, yeah. He's but gifted at that. Prime is very good at putting the attention on Prime without coming off as totally arrogant, I guess. He's just good at he, – he, he knows how to work the machine, I guess you could say, Mace. He is. And look –
1: I, the thing is, he, he's a creation of media. He's playing to the media. But at the same time, I think it, it's genuine. I think that's really him. I mean, I, I, I don't. That, that, is, that is a core aspect of his personality. And I can say that having watched him way back when he was in college at Florida State, this has always been him. This is who he is, it's natural.
0: All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on Coach Prime. Obviously, the transfer portal is a crazy thing right now. Basically, if you played for that program last year, Prime doesn't want you this year. Almost everyone heading out of town. But uh Mace, I want to get back to the Nuggets here for the last couple minutes of the show because a couple folks down at Ballerina have tweeted out photos of the crowd. And the game starts in about 15 minutes, and Ballerina Mace looks three quarters empty. I understand the weather is a factor and it's craptastic out right now and it's pouring rain and all that. But the 7 PM NBA TV tip, um, I just tweet, I just quote tweeted one at at Peterson will on Twitter. I'm sure you're looking at some of them now too, Mace. I mean, I understand the place is going to fill up. I get it. But does this concern you from a slow start standpoint, low energy in that building? I mean, this looks like, this looks like a Tuesday night against the Pistons when the Nuggets weren't making the playoffs. These pictures I'm seeing right now, there is no one in the yeah, building. There's, yeah, there's one
1: I'm looking at 15 minutes from the, from tip-off, and, I mean, it, it's it's shockingly low. I mean, it, it the last time I can recall Ball Arena looking like that for a big game was... Uh, Uh, in the NCAA tournament seven years ago in the first round when they couldn't get people in the building fast enough and they tipped off a first-round game and there were about 3,000 people in the building. I mean, maybe everyone's gotten used to the later start times. I don't know, but this is, yeah. I mean, just to kind of paint a picture here, you're looking around and I would say, it looks like, is it towels tonight that that are draped over the seats?
0: Yeah, I I believe it's towels. That's what it looks like,
1: rally towels there. Rally towels appear
0: to outnumber people four to one. You could tell me five to one, six to one. I mean, it's you're right. You're right. It's 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 an eighteen thousand person arena, and there's between three and four thousand people in their seats right now.
1: Now imagine, look, I imagine it's full on the concourses, right? I, people are you know getting getting a soda, getting a you know getting a brew, getting some food, uh, because it, it, this start. That's another thing. This start time means if you're going to get some grub it's going to be you know as you basically as you're getting to the arena right so they're probably doing big trade out on the concourse right now all but, right but 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 what i want to see what it, we're going to, we're going to have to tip off here in a few minutes i want to see what this is going to look like because i don't know they're going to get everybody in by the time by, by the time the ball tips in, in a few minutes
0: yeah i don't fill up like i said i'm not i'm not worried about you know them playing in a, in a half empty gym in the fourth quarter tonight but there is an element of, I think, the Nuggets need a fast start tonight. Don't give the Timberwolves an ounce of life. Don't give them any hope that they can pull the unthinkable and come back from down 3 and it's going to look... Mace, I'm predicting it right now. The first quarter is going to be ugly. It's going to be gross. It's going to be low energy, a lot of turnovers, because that's what happens when it feels like you're playing a glorified scrimmage because there's no energy in the stands. I mean, that's just the, the way it's going to be tonight, and I hope I'm wrong, but my gut would be the first quarter is like... 21-20 and 20 the teams combined for 12 turnovers. As
1: long as it's like that, I don't want to see the Timberwolves, pull, you know, pull away, but if the Nuggets don't play well, if they get off to a sluggish start tonight and it is like that, 21-20, I'm going to feel pretty good about it. The the thing that will concern me is if the Nuggets start sluggishly and the Timberwolves can capitalize. But if it's kind of a slug start on both sides, I don't think the
0: Nuggets have anything to worry about. All right. Well, I didn't want to close on a bad note. So we figured we'd just pass (laughs) that along. But base Nuggets are going to win by 20, right?
1: There we go. I I mean, what's the spread? 13? Uh, No, it's like 9.5. Okay. I I thought it was more than that earlier. I mean, it's pretty. But still, yeah.
0: I mean, double it'll digits a lot in a playoff game,
1: right? Yeah, it, it is. Even one where it's 3-1. I, I think it's going to be comfortable tonight for the Nuggets. I think they're going to win by double double digits. All
0: right. Mean. Look at that. Yeah. We're finishing on a positive note. We both got that prediction. For KJ, for Mace, I'm Will. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Take it easy.